This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today on Valley Views, we're pleased to have snagged Joe Mullins from the High Mountain Hay Fever Bluegrass Festival. Joe Mullins and the Radio Ramblers closed the show last night to great acclaim. Joe is visiting from Cedarville, Ohio, and is a well-known radio man in his area. Joe, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Gary. We love coming to West Cliff. I think it's the third time in the past decade that our band's been invited to be part of the performance here at this beautiful spot. So we're glad to be in the radio station for the first time. And I'm hoping that the folks here are treating you well. Always. The hospitality from the entire community and the fan base that gathers on the, on the cliff over here is just outstanding. It's great. And you put on a great show. It's not your first rodeo, I can tell. I love watching groups that are really polished and really have it together. And you guys are one of those. Well, we're very fortunate to work a lot. We've had minimal turnover in the band uh, over the past decade, and we do about 100 performance dates every year. Uh, that, that keeps you fresh. That keeps it tight. So thanks for visiting KLZR. Now, you're a radio station owner and an award-winning radio personality yourself. Tell us a little bit about that part of your job. Well, I got into it because my dad was the same. Dad was a broadcaster. Moon, Paul, Moon Mullins yeah, is a well-known name. Yeah, his nickname was Moon Mullins. Uh, and those in Kentucky and southwestern Ohio knew my dad well because he spent 45 years on radio and uh, he was also a good fiddle player. So he combined fiddle playing and broadcasting, and I've combined banjo playing and, <laughs> and uh, broadcasting for 30-some years. I started on, on air uh, when I was like 16 years old. I was on daily and uh, wound up buying a radio station in the Xenia, Ohio community. Xenia is just east of Dayton and uh, rebuilt that radio station, came off the road from a busy band in the early 90s to rebuild that station and was blessed to have it uh, successful within a few years and bought a radio station in Wilmington, Ohio, and one in Eaton, Ohio. Those are farm communities within 50 miles of Dayton. So now here we are in, in 2019, and the, the network is called Real Roots Radio. Mm -hmm. So I have a regional radio network uh, that runs 24-7, 365 on three FMs and, and uh, three AMs and a webcast and a team of broadcasters that help make it profitable for the company and for the community and we do connect with the community somewhat like klzr uh while you're not uh supported by commercial interest uh we do we have to talk about the ford dealer and the chevy dealer and the furniture store and the grocery store and the hardware store and <laughs> and the hospital and and uh so we are a commercial broadcaster but we also are very connected to the community with county fairs and community festivals and and uh, arts and leisure events, and uh, so we're there as a community partner. It's the way radio used to be 40, 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in Middletown, Ohio. My dad was the principal personality on the station in Middletown from the mid-60s up until the mid-80s, and that's where I started working mm -hmm. in the mid-80s, and uh, it was part of the community. It wasn't just about music. We play a good mix of traditional country and bluegrass and Americana and gospel music on the radio, and that makes folks loyal to us. But we talk about our sponsors. We talk about community activities and uh, get out and, and, and support uh, everything going on in the neighborhood. Now, your father was a tireless promoter of bluegrass and country music, as I recall. Absolutely. He was awarded uh, a Distinguished Achievement Award from the International Bluegrass Music Association around 2000 and was their broadcaster of the year then as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he spent his last decade on air at our stations. Uh, his health failed in 05 and he retired, passed away about 11 years ago. 
but he was iconic in our region, not only for including bluegrass music alongside hit country. He, he didn't segregate. A lot of these days and over the last 20, 30 years, if there's a bluegrass music program on a radio station, it's usually once a week, might be tucked into the weekend slot. If you're lucky, it's early on Saturday morning, but oftentimes it's late on Sunday night uh, <laughs> to where it's hard to find a, a, a big audience. Mm-hmm. Dad was drive time, morning and afternoon. And he played bluegrass music. He played J.D. Crow in the New South right beside Waylon Jennings. Mm-hmm. He played the country gentleman or Ralph Stanley right alongside Conway and Loretta. And he gave a lot of credibility to the music. And it was supported commercially. Mm-hmm. He always had the, the top businesses in the region that wanted to sponsor his program because he was such a, a dynamic personality. Well, he could have fit in right here at this radio station because that is the M.O. of a lot of our DJs. They Cross genres and that and that sort of thing. And uh, your father played fiddle with uh, the Stanley Brothers. He, uh, yeah, he. That was from Eastern Kentucky, and his ticket out of Kentucky in 1955 was the U.S. Army, and he was in Alaska for a couple of years before Alaska attained statehood. He was up there on duty, and got fell in with some great hillbilly musicians in Alaska in, in the 50s, and he uh, he became a quite a good fiddle player. And his first professional job in the entertainment business, fall of uh, 58, he took a job with the Stanley Brothers and was with them the last half of 58. Now that's the way to start. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was a little overwhelming. He was so intimidated. Those guys were stars for hillbilly kids from Kentucky. If you were working with the Stanley Brothers, they were stars of radio and TV down south. And and, uh, he had so much stage fright, he couldn't couldn't hang. He was only there a few months with those guys. But he went in the radio business to overcome stage fright. He told that for his whole career. He said, I wanted to be an entertainer, whether I was playing the fiddle or I was on the radio. And he said, so I got a daily radio show so I could get over mic fright. There you go. I get that. Now, what was the catalyst for forming the Radio Ramblers for you? The radio audience that I have been blessed to accumulate in southwestern Ohio has always encouraged and supported bluegrass entertainment. And bluegrass is big where we're from. Uh, the Osborne brothers started yes. in the exact same neighborhood where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so did Larry Sparks. So did Dry Branch Fire Squad, you know, one of the hosts of this weekend's festival. And bluegrass is a big deal where we are. So after I had uh, delivered bluegrass on radio for a decade with my stations, I needed to put together something that could be a catalyst to get the audience to show up at an advertiser location. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, we... Uh, had uh, new car dealers or, or big furniture stores or county fairs or community festivals calling the radio station by 15 years ago saying, well, we need to buy a schedule of radio advertising. and want you to come out and do a live broadcast. Well, can you bring some entertainment? <laughs> so I called on three or four good young musicians in our neighborhood, and I said, let's get a band together that can go out and be respectable. So anywhere that the radio station needs to do a promotion, I can draw a crowd of a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. So we need some entertainment. So we started the band. Our first performance was in spring of 06 at a used car lot. And uh, that summer we did uh, a July 4th street fair and we did a, uh, a county fair and we did a furniture store and a grocery store parking lot. And if you go back, history's renewed again often. And uh, in the early days, in the 40s and in the 50s, Every bluegrass band started their career attached to a radio station. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how the Grand Ole Opry started. Even mm-hmm. It's still a radio show, first and foremost. That's, that, is, that is a good point. Now, uh, I uh, lived in Oxford and Cincinnati in that southwest uh, Miami Valley area where the Osborne brothers were, where you're located. 
and it's a hotbed of uh, bluegrass music. Uh, folks moved up from Kentucky and Tennessee. The big Appalachian migration. And they, some of them went all the way to my old hometown, uh, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh to be in the steel mills. But a lot of them ended up in southwestern Ohio. Uh, what, was, what was your family's history for ending up there? Well, my, I can go back 80, 90 years. I think my grandpa had left Kentucky for a short time before my dad was born and worked a little bit in one of the paper mills in Middletown, Ohio. But my dad became quite a respectable broadcaster on stations in eastern Kentucky in the early 60s. But because of that Appalachian migration, there were Hillwilly families everywhere in southwestern Ohio. They came to work at Armco Steel in Middletown. They came yep. to work at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. They mm -hmm. came to work at NCR in Dayton. And the radio station in Middletown reached all of Dayton and Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And it had been an early pioneering country music station. The Osborne brothers started there. Bobby Osborne first sang on the radio in, in mm -hmm. Middletown, Ohio, 1949. That station had a jamboree tent show that at one time featured a guest spot from Bill Monroe, one from Hank Williams. Everybody came and went out of there. So it had a history in country music. I always say they imported my dad from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. He came in the summer of 64 to become their anchor radio personality on that station. And when those hillbillies that had left the hills and hollers of Kentucky, when they got off work uh, out of that factory at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they heard one of their own on the radio, yeah. they went nuts. And he had a cult-like following. He had tens of thousands of listeners. He, he, was a, he was a breath of fresh air for those folks. He was a connection to home because he didn't just talk about the music and the weather forecast and score the ball game and do a commercial for the Ford dealer. He would talk about what, t what time of year it was to, to plant your potatoes in the garden in the spring. Or uh, he, he talked about all the mountain way because he was a real mountaineer. He, grew, mm -hmm. he was born right in the woods in a house without water or electricity. And uh, he'd survived all that and made it to Ohio. But he still didn't leave his mountain ways until my dad passed away. He still churned his own butter and his own buttermilk. He still cured his own country hams. 99% of what we ate when I was a kid growing up, he raised it in his own garden. And <laughs> he talked about all that on the radio. And those mountaineers that had left yeah, Kentucky. They felt like they were home. Or even the third generation uh, briar hoppers like myself uh, who, who went back and forth to Kentucky or Tennessee to see their grandparents. The, the, my dad was like another grandpa to them. Matter of fact, there was a, in the literary world, there was a hit book uh, a year and a half ago called Hillbilly Elegy. I'm familiar with the book, yes. Uh -huh. Does yeah. that resonate with you? I, I love the book. <laughs> Read the cover off of it. Everybody in my family has. And the, the guy's uh, much younger than me, J.D. Vance was. Mm -hmm. uh, his, his mother grew up in my era. His grandparents left the middle of eastern Kentucky in uh, the late 40s, got a job in Middletown at Armco Steel. And it's about a, a hillbilly family and their connection. They were always back and forth between Kentucky and Ohio. Mm -hmm. And that's a way of life. And we've recorded songs to speak to that. That's excellent. Uh, Ron, Ron Thompson talks about that book. That it resonates with him also. You know, one of my favorite parts of your show is when you do your tribute to the Osborne brothers. Now, commonly in bluegrass, the harmony is stacked one, three, five uh, for a three-part. But... Bobby's voice was so high that the harmony fell below it. Is that, is, is that how it that's works? That's a good analogy. I, I, I can't say that I really analyzed it, yeah, but, uh, but there's something about the sound that's really unusual. Yeah, your standard blue, bluegrass or country trio, you have a lead vocalist, and the next part higher than that will be the tenor part, mm -hmm. and the next part lower than that will be the baritone part. Those mm -hmm. three voices make harmony, and we sing that combination a lot. But Bobby Osborne had such a powerful voice <laughs> and could sing it any, in any range he wanted to sing. Their first big hit 
was called Once More. And the Osborne brothers living in Dayton were running to Wheeling, West Virginia to work the Jamboree show there every weekend. And they started rehearsing the song Once More, and they couldn't, couldn't make it sound like they wanted to with a straight trio. So Sonny said, Bobby, just sing it in whatever key you want. Sing it to where you, it, it sounds like you. And he started singing, and Sonny started singing the baritone part beneath him. Mm-hmm. Red Allen was with him at the time. He dropped in and sang a low tenor part right below Sonny. So the, the lead vocal was the highest, and then you had two below. Mm-hmm. And well, they wound up taking that from the Wheeling Jamboree to the Grand Ole Opry to Rocky Top to, you know, the whole world. And, again, they're both great family friends. They started their career in the same neighborhood where I grew up, and mm-hmm. both have mentored me and still do. Still mm-hmm. see them a lot. So we, we recorded a medley of their songs in that style a few years back and still sing a lot of songs of that style trio. I've always tried to sing like Bobby and play like Sonny. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you about your banjo style. I'm not great at picking out various styles, but it seems like I'm, I'm hearing some Sonny in your, Absolutely. in your style. Absolutely. Well, I grew up learning in the 70s, and Sonny Osborne and J.D. Crow were the two top bluegrass banjo players that you regularly saw in the spotlight, and Ralph Stanley and Don Reno, mm-hmm. and they were all so good to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started learning on my own, just playing the records, and I'd seen great bluegrass banjo players for my whole life, so it came naturally, but any time I needed a mentor to give me a little help, Sonny or J.D. Crow or Ralph Stanley or Don Reno were always a great help, and even now, I play one of the I don't have it with me on this trip, but I've got a banjo that Sonny Osborne gave me years ago that mm. I play a lot. <laughs> That's very cool. I remember seeing Sonny and Bobby about 1975 at the Kerrville Bluegrass Festival, Texas. long long defunct in, in the hill country. And uh, they spent the whole weekend pranking back and forth with little Roy. The Lewis family, yeah. <laughs> the Lewis family was there they from Lincolnton, Georgia. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me ask You've got a stellar band backing you up to help flesh out your musical vision, and some of the some of those guys have been with you quite a while. I oh think. yeah, Mike Terry, our mandolin player, has been here since day one, thirteen years. He's a great harmony singer and lead singer and mandolin stylist. Adam McIntosh is in the band. He was a founding member of the show. Was with us the first six years, four albums. He made a family move and was out of the band for about six years and worked a lot with Dry Branch. That's uh, right. He's worked with Ron on an awful lot through the years. But Adam returned to the group earlier this year, and our fiddle player is one of the most loved musicians in the bluegrass world, Jason Barry. Mm-hmm. Jason uh, has been with us going on six years, five, five years, I think, five or six. He came in uh, 2014, be, be, be five years this fall, and he's outstanding. And Randy Barnes has been there six years, bass player, bass singer. My dad always said, you've got to fish out of the same boat. Everybody can't have a different idea about how a that, song's supposed very to sound. Tr- very true. And I, I'm just one guy with, with a banjo and a scratchy voice and a few corny jokes. <laughs> uh, I rely on us putting together a team effort to arrange and record everything we do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we try to stay true to that. That's excellent. Joe, we are running short of time for this show, and I've got a bunch more questions. Would you be able to come back next week and uh, do another show? Well, I'd be grateful. Be grateful. No problem. So thankful for what you do for Bluegrass and and for the Radio Ramblers. Well, thank you very much. Uh, We've been visiting with uh, Joe Mullins from the Radio Ramblers, who's in town for the High Mountain Hay Fever Bluegrass Festival, and we will visit that next week. Also, check in to the Mountain Express Wednesday morning from... uh, 7 to 8, and I will be playing uh, the best of bluegrass and country, as always, but the next few weeks I will be featuring the Radio Ramblers. We'll see you next time on Valley Views. 
You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. 